But uh, let's turn our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to continue in our study of the outsiders. And um, very excited about preaching this message uh, this morning. Um, it's going to continue over two weeks ago. We, were, we looked at submission to government. This morning we'll look more into, uh, in this text of 18 through 25, of looking into submission to masters. You don't want to miss next week. I've already had a lot of people uh, looking forward to next week because it's talking about submission to husbands. Someone over here has been really looking forward to Brother Jake preaching that uh, next Sunday. But you'll have to wait for that next week. Uh, this week we'll look at submission to masters. Of course, last week the reason we didn't, we were not in here, we looked at the uh, Reformation Sunday last week in the text there. But uh, again, we're going to be back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. Submission to masters. I think as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see more of just not people that we work for, but I hope and pray we see just kind of a study into our everyday life of how we just kind of deal with things on a normal basis of knowing, you know what, there's nothing really good inside of me, and we'll look at that this morning. There's really nothing that I deserve besides penalty for my sin. Uh, and we're going to look at just God's mercy, God's grace in this passage of Scripture. And we're going to learn of how and continue to see of how we ought to deal with people, especially as outsiders. The reason that title has come about is because Peter, whenever he's writing this, these, these Christians are really outsiders. Brother Jake has told us many times already in the last few weeks, last several weeks, of, of the fact that these Christians were living in just a very desperate time. They were accused of burning down a city. They were accused of so many different things that was just un, unjust. They were not right. And uh, these, these new Christians, especially these new Christians, were really up against, their backs were really up against the wall. They were seeing persecution like we've never experienced. They were going through all these things. And Paul, um, Peter, there you go, but Peter is there encouraging them in their walk in the Lord. And he's not telling them this sad story of how to end up being in a rebellious spirit or anything like that. But Peter is really encouraging them in their walk with the Lord. And he's trying to show them of how they ought to live as foreigners in this world. And the same thing for you and I. So as we look at this passage of scripture, I'm going to read through verses 18 through 25. And then of course, we'll come back and kind of take it bit, uh, piece by piece uh, through this uh, scripture. But let's look at 18. It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because in conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrong, uh, wrongfully. For what credit is it, is it if? When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffer, suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you. 
We love you, Lord God. We, we just praise you this morning for your word. Thank you for those verses this, this, this morning, Lord God. Thank you for allowing this to be just tucked in to this Bible. That we can look at it this morning, Lord God, that we can see your truth in it. There was so much truth in those scriptures this morning as we read. I, I pray that we'd be able to really open it up, unpack it this morning, that you would allow the things that are coming from my mouth this morning, Lord God, to be words from you and not of my own. Again, Lord God, we ask that you would allow these words, these things from your word to speak to our hearts, speak to our, our minds this morning, that when we leave this place, we'd be different than when we came in. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So submission to masters, submission, understanding of being outsiders. And going back to verse 18, uh, what, what happens here is Peter is really getting into this place where he's just kind of explaining what's happening. Okay, and he's kind of explaining uh, of just a kind of a comparison here uh, of what is taking place or what could take place. And so, again, these people are under great persecution and they're normally they're in a situation where they are dealing with people who are harsh to them, especially for the fact that they are Christians. And so these believers here think just because that I got saved, just because I have now have a relationship with them and I, uh, with Christ and I am free, that I'm no longer under this person, this master that I, who I am under. And, and Peter is trying to explain to them that wasn't the case. There was still an authority that they, on this earth, that they had to submit to. It's just like for me personally, my dad served some time in prison. That's where he come to know the Lord was whenever he spent time in prison. I've shared that with us before. And uh, he spent from 1976 to 1979 in federal prison. When he was there, uh, he, he uh, found the Lord. Uh, the Lord saved him. The Lord called him to preach. The Lord, the Lord allowed him to raise his children in church. And just a great testimony uh, of his life. But when he was there in prison and he uh, came to know the Lord there in prison, he was not free from the penalty of the sins that he had done. The crime that he had committed, he still had to be under that judgment. And Peter was telling these Christians, just because now you have a relationship with the Lord and now you are in liberty, that you are free from the bondage of sin, you were still under these people's judgment and these people's authority. And so as we see that in verse 18 and verse 19, Peter is telling them, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. The Bible tells us over and over again, it's easy to be kind to someone who is kind to you. It's easy to do that. People who love you and care for you, it's easy to return those things. And Peter's saying, just not to the ones who are gentle and who are kind, but he tells us in verse 19, this is commendable, but uh, if because our conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if, when we are beaten for your faults, that you take it patiently? But, you know, and he's telling us here, that even if we do wrong, the things that we deserve, you know, we deserve those things. We know that we're guilty. We know that we're at fault here. And so, you know, when we, when we get in trouble for those things and we are found ourselves in a place of punishment, he goes, that is commendable. That's the right thing just because it equals up to the, the same thing. But he says right here in the last part of verse 20, but when you do good. He says, when you're trying to do good and you're working for the Lord and you are not trying to go against your boss, you're not trying to go against the people that you were under. 
and you do good. And he says, and you suffer. He says, if you take it patiently, now this is commendable before God. He says, when people are coming against you, when things are just not working out in your favor, and you think just the world is against you, or you think this individual, this boss, maybe, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your neighbor, whatever the case is, and they're just coming against you. He says, when you do good and you suffer, and you find yourself taking it patiently, he says, now this is commendable before God. He says, it's one thing, it reminds me of the story in the Bible when he talks about the religious leaders and they would get up there and to pray, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees would like to stand in the open courts and they would like to pray and they would like to pray loud and they'd pray long prayers. You think a lot of times that's me and Jake up here, but you know, we like to pray and just kind of hear ourselves and, he, and, and the Bible tells us, well, Jesus tells us in the Bible that he says, those people have their rewards because they wanted to look good in front of men. They wanted to look good in front of those people and they have their rewards. But he says, when you, when you pray in secret and you pray, you know, and you pray with sincerity of heart, that's the main thing. And he goes, and you do it in, in those quiet places and you pray to the loud. He says, the Lord will take those quiet things and he will reward you openly. And so it tells us kind of in that same, same territory here in verse 20, he says, listen, when you take those things and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's the, whether it's the good and you'll be able to work for that person because they're, they're showing favor to you, he goes, that's easy. It's another thing whenever you know you're wrong and you have to suffer the consequences, you knew you were wrong and you deserve those consequences. But when you're trying to do good, when you're trying to do good and, and, you're, and you're doing good and you still suffer, he goes, that's where the key is. That's where the Lord is looking intently at the heart. And how can you deal patiently in those areas? And he's going to give us those examples in just a second. He says, and when you deal patiently in those areas, now this is commendable before God. That's the things that I was saying in the prayer. That's the things that are in the hidden places. That's the things that are personal between you and the Lord. And he says, those are commendable before God. Boy, in my Bible, whenever I was just studying and doing all, you know, and preparing for this, I, I underlined the word patiently. You know, how he says, when you're patiently doing that, whenever it's your fault, that's easy. Whenever you're, whenever somebody's showing favor to, favor to you, that's easy. But, you know, patiently, and then also just underline commendable. Just how, when, when God says something is good, it's good. You don't need any, any extra words. You don't need all those different things. I love that even in Genesis chapter one, when God, is, when God is creating the heavens and the earth, he doesn't use all the examples that we use. He, what does he say? He says, this is, he looked at it and said, this is good. When God says it is good, it's good, amen? And so as he says this in this verse, he says, it is commendable before God. I will take that this morning. In verse 21, he starts to really get into it, Peter does and is writing towards these believers. As he now he's starting to tell them of why you should be able to, when somebody's coming against you, whether the circumstances, man, you, you hear it every day, right? And you can give examples of other people, but if we wanna get personal, just think of our, and, and this is how I want the rest of the message really to go, think inward, think of you, think of your battle. I think of my battles in my everyday life, in my everyday just, conversations and just things happening at work or at home or, or whatever the case is and, and just the battle of the mind of how we're thinking and how we're processing these things of how we could easily become so negative not y'all on a Sunday morning right not not us not this crowd right but me I'm telling you about me it, it's a battle every day in my mind of how I should not only have a positive attitude 
But more important than that, have a godly attitude. And so that's what he tells us here in verse 21. He says, for to do this, he says, for to this, excuse me, for to this, he says, you were called. He said, this is what you were called. See, the world will have the excuses of of why they don't have to react in a certain way, in the right way to take the high road, because they were not called. For us, if we are called, if we have been called out, when we're talking about, you know, whenever I used to go to Dry Creek and teach the preschool class, not the preschool, but the the preteen class, I tried to make it very, very simple, as simple as possible. And a lot of times we need to make it simple, right? I mean, we are going down a road, and whenever we come to the age of understanding, those kids that are in children's church this morning, and Nia's opening up God's Word and really showing them so much truth, and their, eye, their minds are being enlightened to the things of, this, of, of, of the, this world and themselves and of God. And as, you know, and as we're teaching those kids that they, we are headed down a road that leads to destruction. Our sins, our penalty of sins will lead us to this road of, destru- uh, of destruction. And he says, listen, we were called out of that situation. And we now, when we trust in the Lord, he has turned us around. We didn't do anything of ourselves on our own. He says, when we trust in him, he turns us and he gives us that direction that is following the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us there's two roads. There's a road that many will follow and there's few that will find this road. And so as we have been called out, if you say that I have a relationship with the Lord and I have been called out as far as going to the place of, uh, of destruction and away from the Lord, but now I have been called to the things of God as a believer, he says, for to, uh, he says, for to this you were called. You were called out because the only reason that we can even hang our hat on the fact that we were called, that we have been chosen of God, he says, because Christ also suffered for us. He's the one that suffered. He says, so, so if, you were, if you were called, now you have been identified with Christ because Christ is the one who has suffered. And continuing on in verse 21, he says, leaving us an example. So for us, it's not us comparing ourselves to our neighbor. You know, Brent lives next door to me and he looks across and he's like, man, I'm doing really good today because Garen is just falling short and it's making me look great. And you know what? That looks good. That looks good for a moment. And then you go down the road, somebody else may be doing something a little bit better and you can, no, well, I'm not doing so good. We compare ourselves to so many people in, in these regards, but we should not be comparing ourselves to those people. We should be comparing ourselves to someone who is really impossible to compare ourselves to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only when we uh, just compare our life to how he has done, but because he has done these things, this is how we ought to live. And that's what it tells us here in verse 21. He says, Christ is the one that suffered for us. He's left us an example. That is where not only our comparison comes to, because then we fall miserably short, but we're trying to achieve a goal that we'll never, ever, ever achieve. And guess what? That's okay. Because the more we stop looking like us and the more we start to look like our Heavenly Father, the better off we're going to be. And, and even if we'll never see it on this side of heaven, it's still our aim, it's still our goal to look more and more like Christ. And he says, look at the Lord because he is the example that we should follow, finishing in verse 20, 21, that we should follow his steps. 
We should follow his steps. As we look at the gospel and we look at what the Lord Jesus Christ done, we can see it throughout all of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We can see the, hand, the, the, the work of God throughout all of Scripture. But very closely when we see how the Lord Jesus Christ came down on this earth 2,000 years ago and lived a sinless, perfect life, 33 and a half years he lived on this earth all the way to the cross. And so we can see that. We don't have a God that just is, is up in heaven and looking down upon us and not know what we go through. He went through it. He sent his only begotten son. He sent his darling son here on this earth to live that life, to experience the things that you and I experience. Yes, he was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And I know that doesn't add up to our math because God is bigger than our math. God is bigger than our understanding that he has given us. Okay, but God is telling us when he sent down his son, Jesus Christ, when he lived on the earth, the Bible tells us that he, he experienced everything that you and I experienced, yet he was without sin. And so when Jesus was here on this earth, he led an example for us that we should follow him. Now, that's great in a couple different ways. That's great also because we know when we pray to the father, when we pray to God the Father, that we know when we pray through his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is there interceding for us, but also Jesus is there knowing and pleading on our behalf because he knows the struggles that we go through on this earth. Of how we are pulled in so many directions and how our old flesh just really rivals against, Paul talks about this in scripture, of how our flesh just rivals against our spirit and our spirit against our flesh. And it's a constant battle in us, in me. I know what I go through on a daily basis. In verse 22, I love this, Peter dips back into Old Testament scripture and he talks about the prophet Isaiah and he mentions this right here. He says in, in Isaiah prophesying about who Jesus was going to be and how he was going to come. He says, Jesus, this Messiah that was spoken about by the prophet Isaiah, he says, who committed no sin in verse 22. He committed no sin so there, there was nothing that he was guilty for that he had to suffer for, as we talked about earlier, okay? And, and there was nothing of that for, for Jesus. He says, continue in verse 22, nor was deceit found in his mouth. There was nothing that he was doing sinfully, and there was also no deceit in the Lord's mouth. And in verse 23, it tells us, continue, Peter picks back up and he says, who, when, he, when Jesus was reviled, when people started to come against him, he did, not, he did not give them an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He did not do that. He says, he, he says in verse 23, who, talking about Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. People would do things to him, and I'm not telling you this morning to be a doormat. As all you walked in, there's a black doormat over there. I'm not telling you as a person and as a believer that you should allow people just to walk all over you. But see, we have something inside of us that, that, that tells us as a, just a person, as a, as a, just a human being, that we have certain rights. And that we also just think, you know what, that I'm a good person. I was trying to look up a couple things this week about uh, just good examples. And it kept coming up, a lot, of, a lot of Google searches kept coming up of why good things happen to bad people. I mean, let me say that opposite way, all right? Why do bad things happen to good people? And see, we think that we're just inherently good. 
That, you know, that's one of the main issues that we have, because whenever I was giving that example of the road that we're on, we have got to come to the understanding that, as Romans tells us, there's nothing good inside of me. There's nothing good inside of us. No, not one, the Bible tells us. There's not one that is without sin. And he's telling us here, listen, Jesus was sinless and he had no deceit in his mouth. And he says when they came against him and started accusing him of different things, he would not return those things back to those people. And guess what? He was good. He was righteous. He didn't have a fault in him. For us, we are inherently sinful people. That's who we are. We, we get it honestly from our parents and so on. And so for us, when we go through this world, understanding, listen, most of the things that come against us is probably sometimes more than likely our fault. But even if it isn't, he says, don't return that kind of fire for fire in here as Jesus did, as Jesus did. And continuing on in verse 23, it says, when he suffered, he did not threaten. When they came against him and, and, and he suffered because of their wrongdoing, he says he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, this right here is just, before we get into this, I, I want to remind us, uh, as we, before we get into he committed himself uh, to him, and I want to talk about a heavenly timeline in just a second, but I, I want us to remember uh, the story of Job. The Bible, well, theologians tell us that Job was probably one of the first books of the Bible that was ever written. And it was one of the earliest books. And Job's tucked away there right, right before uh, Psalms and Proverbs. And, and, and Job tells us of a story of a man who was righteous before God. He, we also see a glimpse and a picture of heaven, don't we? Uh, of how Satan, as a disobedient servant, comes and, and says to the Father, uh, you know, well, he's having a conversation with God. We see this conversation in heaven and, and we see God say to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Remember that story? Have you noticed my servant Job? And, and, and Satan says, absolutely I have. He says, but you know, you have such a wall of protection around him that I cannot get to him. And he tells him those things. This is in Job chapter one. Great, great uh, book, great uh, chapters for you to read as well. It says, as you look at that in Job chapter one, he says, have you noticed my servant Job? He says, yes, you have a wall around him. I can't get to him. And he says, and Satan tells God, he says, listen, if you would pull down those walls, he says, I guarantee you, Job would curse you uh, because of you taking away all the things that you have blessed him with. Let me tell you something. God wants to bless you this morning. He does. It's like, listen, if you want to bless your kids, especially when they're obedient, especially when they're doing the things that, that you've asked them to do, you want to reward them. And God does the same thing for his children. He wants to really bless you and reward you this morning. And, and so for us, uh, when, he, when he says that, as far as Satan to Job, it was true. I mean, Satan to God about Job, it was very true. Job was doing the things that God wanted him to do. And God was blessing him. It goes in chapter one and tells you about all the things that Job had. God gave him all these possessions, but Job didn't allow those possessions to get a hold of him. He continued to worship the person who was giving him those possessions. And so finally, we see, you remember the story, God begins to just pull back a little bit his hedge of protection around Job. And, and, and finally, God says to, uh, to Satan, he says, listen, anything you can, do to, you can do to him, you can. He says, but just don't take his life. 
And so you see all of these things happen. Job loses his children. Job loses his uh, livestock. He loses all of his possessions that God had blessed him with. And you see all of these things. He, he puts boils on his body where he can't even, he, it's, it's a really miserable situation for Job. And Job can look at God and say, God, listen, I'm a good person. God, I deserve all these things. And God stripped those things away from him. He had his best friends come over. I hope you don't have friends like Job did. <laughs> Job had his best friends come over and it, they tell him, Job, you must have done something wrong. And Job's like, man, I, I've checked. I, I've tried to see. I, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know what that is. I, I've examined, believe me. I've mourned over my children. I've mourned over my spouse. I've, I've mourned over all of these, not over his spouse, he didn't lose his spouse, but all of his children, all of his livestock. He's mourning all of, all of, these, all of these losses. And they're like, surely you've done something. He's listen, I've looked, I've examined. And you go on for chapter after chapter after chapter of just this turmoil, this battle. Like I said, even his friends come to him and just say, God, Job, just curse God and die. You're better off. And so all of these things, and we get to Job chapter 41. And Job chapter 41, he's in a bad, bad situation. And the reason I bring that up, there's 42 chapters in the, in the book of Job. Chapter 1 tells us about the story, and chapters 2 through 41, it is just hell for Job. And Job's just living in the moment. He don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And let me say that again. He doesn't know what tomorrow's going to bring. He's just barely hanging on, but he's still trusting in the Lord. He's just barely hanging on, trusting in the Lord. I'm, I thank the Lord all, many times, and probably more, I need to more so than not. I'm glad there's not a book of Garen in here for good and bad reasons. And, and you should be thankful there's not a book of your name. In this Bible because we'll look at them and go man why they didn't understand and why they didn't see and and you can look at yourself and why didn't I understand and why didn't I see we, we have the benefit of reading Job chapter 42 and the next day God's saying enough's enough and God restores him double of what he had we don't know Job we don't know Garen chapter 42 in our lives and you don't know your name, chapter 42, in your life. That's why we just trust the one who does. God blessed him with, the, with all of the, of the children that he had. And, and I've kind of looked at that before, just thinking about it. I don't, he didn't give him double the amount of children because he still had those children in heaven. But he doubled him on the livestock that he had on this earth. Everything that he had on the earth that counts for us, he doubled it because of his faithfulness to God, because he trusted God, even when God, he couldn't see the hand of God, he still trusted the heart of God. Job 42. And so it tells us here in verse 23, finishing up, he says in verse 23, he says, but talking about Jesus here, and this is, look, I'm not, I'm not here to, uh, I, I, the reason I still read out of my New King James, I love the ESV, other versions that we use here, uh, is because uh, I, I need this sometimes in my Bible. The King James doesn't even do this either. But the New King James does, and I'm thankful for it. It says, in the last part of verse 23, it says, But 
committed himself, and himself is capitalized, talking about Jesus on the earth, to him, that's actually talking about God the Father, that him is capitalized there, talking about God the Father, who judges righteously. And so what he's telling us in verse 23, he says, when all of these things were happening to Jesus while he was on the earth, and the book of John does a great job of this. You remember the first thing that Jesus does in the book of John and the first miracle? He turns the water into wine, right? He's at the wedding feast. His mother comes to him. They ran out of wine. And what are you going to do? And Jesus tells her, Jesus still does it, but what does he say fully? First of all, he says, my hour has not yet come. There's many times in the book of John, he records this for us, where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. He says, my hour is not yet come. And then when it really gets close, he says, my hour is coming. And then when he gets to the end where he gives himself up to be persecuted, he says, my hour has come. And the reason is, is because he was not on his own timetable. He was not on his own timeline. He was on the Father's timetable, the Father's timetable of what he should do. When he was on the earth and he was focused on the day-to-day things, still in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a sinless situation where he was not sinning, he, he would take time for himself, he would pray, he would gather himself, he would seek what the Father had for him just like you and I need every day. And he says, listen, he committed himself to God, to his father for the bigger picture. But here's a man wanting to come to arrest me. Here's a man that's wanting to come against me. And, And Jesus didn't look at the situation just like Peter did. Peter just saw someone coming after, uh, after someone that he truly loved, someone that he truly admired. And Peter, uh, what did he do? He responded in such a way where he, drew, where he took the sword and he uh, took the man's ear off because he didn't want Jesus to be taken in that moment. And Jesus knew what the time was. Jesus knew he didn't have just an earthly picture. He had a heavenly picture of what was to come because he kept his eyes on the father to see what the father was up to and he knew that his time was coming where he needed to be taken even though he was falsely accused it was a time for him to be taken and to be beaten for our sins and for our transgressions it was time for him to go to the cross he had a heavenly timeline verse 24 says who himself jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He took our punishment, he took our hell for us because we deserve those things, but he took it for us. And so when we go through this life, whether it's our fault or it's somebody else's fault, Jesus is our example that we don't give people what they deserve, we give them mercy and grace, and that's what he's telling us here. He's the one that took our sin, he took your sin. He took my sin. And so when I say, Lord, it's not fair, he says, yeah, it's not fair. And it wasn't fair to him. But you know what? He's our example. He's our, he is something that we measure ourselves on and we should be like him. That we, having died to sins, and not only sins, but also ourselves, that we might live for righteousness. That we can find, be right before God. So when we stand and we say, God, here's the situation that I'm battling with. 
I may be at fault. This person may be at fault. Neither one of us are at fault. Nobody wants to take responsibility for whose fault it is. I don't know the situation, but Lord, I don't want to deal with it like my eyes are only on this earth. I want to deal with it in a heavenly sense. Lord, you tell me how I'm supposed to deal with this situation. I want you to get the honor and glory. Lord, help me walk in your steps, in your ways, whether it's my boss, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my, whether it's my children, whatever the situation that you may be dealing with, Lord, I need to see it through your eyes so I can live in righteousness, in right standing before you. He says, by whose stripes? It was his suffering, his pain that he took, it was his beatings that we were healed. It was because of what he's done for us. And so if he's done that for us, we need to live in him. And it's because of him. In verse 25, and we're almost done. Turn to your neighbor and say, finally, he's almost done, right? Nobody. All right. 25 says, for you are like sheep going astray. Understand, look, the Bible tells us when we were headed down that road that we were blind, that, that we couldn't see. That, that we were headed down a road that we were just going just along with everybody else, thinking what we were doing is right. And he says, you're just like sheep with no leader. You're just going and wandering off. And he says, listen, when you finally understood because God was so gracious and so merciful to you that he allowed you to see different things, whether it was bad circumstances, good circumstances, but he allowed you to see him. And allowed you to see yourself that knowing, you know what, I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I need something. And when God opened up your eyes, he says, follow after me. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. And if that, you have done that, we constantly have got to be reminded. We have to be reminded daily. For me, it's more than daily. That I have got to remind myself and get myself back, my eyes back on the Lord. It says, for you are like street, a sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, the one who leads you and guides you. I don't have, I don't have enough ability. I don't have enough sense to lead myself in where I should go. I couldn't do it in salvation and I can't do it in my daily life. And he's saying, you need your shepherd. You need him in your life. You need to see where he's leading you and guiding you. And if you're the 99, he'll bring you back. If you're part of the herd and going where God is leading you, listen, that's where he wants to find you. He wants you to be there with him, looking and seeking after him daily. And he says he's your overseer. He is your real master. He is your real master. Follow him. See what he's wanting to do. See what he's wanting to accomplish. Jesus saying, when, when, you know, these, when the Roman uh, leader was coming after him, whether it was the, uh, whatever the situation was, the religious leader that was after him when it was time for him to go to the cross, they thought they were in control on the earth, but they were not in control even when he was on the cross and he could have easily gotten himself down. You know, what we talk about the thief on the cross and the other guy on the cross and one says, remember me. The other one says, why don't you save yourself and save us? They didn't have the power over him. Death, death didn't have the power over him and definitely those Roman guards and the people that put him on the cross didn't, did not have 
power over him. Those nails in his hands and feet did not have power over him. He could have easily gotten off that, gotten out of that situation, but he didn't because he knew the father had a purpose for him being up there. And he followed it. And those things were done for you and I. And he says, just as God was overseeing the works of Jesus on this earth, he says he wants to be your overseer in your life today. And as we conclude, if, if the Lord is not your overseer, if he's not your shepherd in salvation, I want to encourage you this morning to just trust him. I, I, I think about being a believer for the amount of time that I have been a believer. And I need him more today than I did yesterday. I, I need him so much in my life because I can't even imagine of trying to be the person that I need to be to my spouse without the Lord. I can't imagine trying to be the parent that I need to be without the Lord. I can't imagine being the pastor uh, without the help of the Lord. I can't imagine being the coworker without the help of the Lord. Without not just the help, but the direction, the leadership, of, of being able to be alone and just cry out to God and say, God, help me figure this out. Show me because I've come to the end of my rope and I don't know. And, and that's as a believer for a long period of time. And so for you this morning, if you have not trusted the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, I ask you to just call out to him, ask him to open up your heart to him, to cry out in a place of surrender and just ask the Lord to just save you. Take control of your life. Be the Lord of your life this morning. He wants to so desperately. He's done all of these things for you to prepare a way. And he wants to enter into that relationship with you. Someone, I've said this many times before as Brother Jake comes up. I've said this many times before and I'll say it again this morning. There's someone sitting on the throne of your heart. Whether it's still you calling the shots or it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way it's the Lord is when you surrender your life and allow him to come in and take control. The Lord's a great example in a lot of different ways, but he's an example as far as a perfect gentleman. He won't intrude. He won't come in to someone who doesn't want him. He'll come in with that invitation. And so if you've invited the Lord to come in to be in control of your life this morning, I pray that you would share that with us this morning. I pray that you would tell someone, someone would love to share in that testimony of yours this morning that you have surrendered your life to the Lord. How do you do that? You call out to him, Lord, Satan, come in. Be the Lord of my life. I'm inviting you in to my life. If you're a Christian this morning, I know this is what it really boiled down to in 1 Peter. He's talking to these Christians. And he's... Peter knows of just their everyday life, of their everyday struggles, just like you and I are experiencing our everyday struggles. And he's saying, listen, I know we could probably hang our hat on and we could try to justify it. If I go to my brother and I tell him, this is what's happening to me, this is all these things, and he says, you know what, I hear you. That's, you sound like, like that's the right thing. Like you're justified in your call. And Jesus is telling us this morning, listen, follow after me. Even when people come against you, even when things are not going your way, no matter who it is, no matter what circumstances, he says, look not only to those